Welcome to the Food, Peace, Please podcast, co-hosted by Serena Marie, RD, creator of Food Freedom Fit Fam, and Susan Ports, RD, creator of Ag Quality Academy. Our joint mission is to empower women to embrace food freedom. We want women to realize that there's more to life than changing your body and counting your calories, macros, or points. While we are medical professionals, this podcast is informational only and not meant as a substitute for individual medical advice. Now let's get this party started. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Food, Peace, Please Pod. I am here today with Susan. We are going to be diving into a really juicy topic. I am like just waiting for Susan to like fly off the handle here. (laughs) But before we dive into today's topic, Susan, what is new with you? What's new in the hood over there? Oh, yes. So actually... We got a house in Pennsylvania. So we're super excited. Uh, They get to close in like three weeks and we get to move in. So I'm like – I'm like telling the cat and dog every day, like, oh, only a few more days. And I'm actually going home for like, I'm going home on Monday and going to be home for like almost two weeks. So really not that many days left in the apartment, which is a relief. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I bet. (laughs) Yeah. So yes. So super excited about that. What about you? What's new with you? So what's new with me is I have been – so I'm a big runner, guys. I'm usually like always training for something, always running for some running. And I actually do have a race coming up here in like three weeks. I'm running the Brooklyn half. But, you know, some for some reason, I have just been really – not feeling it, like not feeling training. And in the past, I think I would have just pushed through because, you know, I'm signed up for this race and I'll just rest afterwards. And I'm just, I'm just going, I'm listening to my body and I'm just not training right now. And if I need to walk on race day, I'll walk, you know, it's, it's no big deal. And I'm really, I'm actually really proud of myself. Like, I feel like this is like a new level of evolution in my own personal, like, you know, healthier relationship with movement and food journey. So it took me a long time <laughs> to get to this place, but uh, it feels it feels really good to just like exercise for enjoyment and not worry about the training right now. Yeah, I love that. I'm excited to hear like how this continues to go for you and like what the race is like, you know, like I love that you're like, hey, if I have to walk, I'll walk. Yeah. I mean, it's like races don't always have to be for – competition. And I think that's something that's hard for it to click for me because when I started racing, it was in high school and it was competitive. And I think I'm just kind of programmed to be competitive for that reason. But I talk about this with my clients all the time. There's so many reasons to run. And especially this race specifically, it's in Brooklyn, which is kind of like my home, my home base. And so I'm going to see friends there. I'm going to visit neighborhoods I haven't run through in a while. I'm going to eat delicious food afterwards. Like there's lots of other components to this race besides the racing, like the competition that I'm going to enjoy that day. And it's okay that I'm choosing for that race to be about those things rather than pushing my body to the hardest I can perform that day. Yeah. I feel like you're making it about fun. Exactly. Exactly which you all know I'm a huge – I vibe with that. So I'm excited to hear you say that. 
Woohoo! Yes, girl. Yes. So, so today's topic that we're going to dive into is talking about wellness culture and talking about how when we're on Instagram or we're on Facebook or we're at the dinner table with our friends and family, you know, people are like, oh, I'm not on a diet. Like, I'm just trying to be healthy. I'm just trying to eat healthy. I'm just, you know, oh, this is like, this is like something I'm doing for the sake of wellness and well-being. And (laughs) Susan, why that's a slippery slope, right? Like why is wellness culture potentially toxic? I mean, is toxic too strong of a word? Like what what do you think? No, I think toxic is the perfect word to describe it. I think as we're diving into this, the one thing that I want to say to like preface this conversation is that if any of the things that we're describing describe how you like live or describe like words that you've said, like, please just know that like, we're not judging you and we're not shaming you for that. Like we've been there. I've been there. I've totally had those exact same thoughts. Uh, The purpose of today's conversation is to like bring awareness. So that way you understand that these things can be toxic because there's a way to go about wellness in a way that feels good and is truly taking care of your body. And then there's a way to go about wellness that is toxic and not healthy. So I I definitely don't think that toxic is a poor choice of words uh, because there there seems to have evolved this mindset that one, like women don't want to diet, right? Like or or at least you don't want to say that you're dieting. You don't want to admit that you're dieting. Like I definitely think the word diet and it, it is losing popularity amongst our generation. And I think that that's because it feels restrictive and also because I think it's something that we saw like our moms do growing up. And so we're like, well, I don't want to do that. Like that looked terrible. Um, but instead of using the word diet, it's morphed into this wellness thing and this wellness culture. And wellness culture is really like this set of beliefs that makes you have rules and around like the types of foods that you will eat, around how you live your life, all in the name of wellness. It's not specifically about weight loss always. It's about having this perfect body, you know, having the six pack, having like these perfectly shaped arms and looking a specific way while also thinking that you are like as healthy as you possibly can, like and not putting anything into your body that could potentially harm it. Yeah. I I'm glad you agree that toxic's not too strong of a word. And I and I also I love that you went there and said, "Hey, if we are, you know, poking at something that you're like, "Hey, I do that." Um, just remember this exists on a spectrum. Like you could be doing some things for wellness and I like I'm totally doing things for my my own well-being and wellness, and it's not toxic. Like it's the perfect amount that it feels really comfortable and easy and it's not stressing me out and it's not um this like ruling the way I live my life. 
it's really like like Susan saying, when it's this strict set of rules and it's really permeating all of your decisions and it's affecting how you think about every choice you make or most of the choices you make, I think that's when it starts to become like starts to tip towards that that toxic um, toxicity. Um, yeah, like so so I think like Susan, what do you think are some examples of wellness culture? I mean, I think particularly probably in the fertility space, I know that's what you specialize in, but even just like maybe some broad examples of like wellness culture at work. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm going to name a few and I think that they really honestly they blend right into the fertility world, but they also for me and my personal experience like it started before the fertility world and then I think the fertility journey just like amplifies it and can really make it worse. Um so honestly like the biggest one is like all of like that sugar is like toxic and like we really need to avoid like added sugar, you know? And I remember there was a time when I was meticulously reading ingredient labels for added sugars and not letting it be above a certain amount um, and trying to make things in a way that we weren't adding any extra sugar. Like, OMG, I remember my husband would totally vouch for this. He remembers this. I one year for Christmas, I attempted to make like Christmas cookies with like uh, I don't know, stevia or something. Like, come on, here's the deal. <laughs> like it, it does not taste the same. And here's what I know now that I didn't know then. And that is if you are going to try to like healthify something, and I say that word lightly, but like if you're trying to healthify something and it doesn't taste very good and it doesn't actually fill the craving, like you're going to keep eating. You're going to keep looking for something else. So like just make the real freaking Christmas cookies and like eat them and move on. Like it's so funny. I make the real deal now every year and every single year, you guys, I throw away so many cookies. It's it's terrible. Like I should probably give them to the neighbors, but like I make them and I eat them when I want them. And then like after like probably like a few days after Christmas, I'm like done because I've like enjoyed the ones that I want. And now I just well, I attempt to freeze them or I <laughs> throw them away. <laughs> but oh my God. I have to stop you right there because I'm just <laughs> like I still have Christmas cookies. <laughs> It's almost May. They are still like I could send you a picture on my counter in my kitchen, and because I, I will eat them like so slowly. But Anthony's like, I think we need to throw these out. <laughs> well, okay. To be honest, if this makes you feel better about the Christmas cookies, when we moved, like did our little move here from Wisconsin to Pennsylvania. So we have like a huge like upright freezer at home and we're like, okay, we're not going to have that much food here. So we're going to like turn off the upright freezer and we're just going to put it in. You guys, this is so pathetic. We have two people and we have two full-size fridges and a full-size upright freezer. <laughs> but I love that. we're like, okay, we're going to turn off one of our – we're going to turn off one freezer. And so like I was like – then there wasn't that much stuff in it anyways, but I was like putting it into the other freezer and I found Christmas cookies. So this was in like February. 
And I like I ended up leaving them out. And like a few, maybe like a few weeks later, my mom must have been like at our house, like checking on stuff. And she's like, um, you know that you have Christmas cookies in your pantry? And I was like, at this one, it's like March. And I'm like, yeah, you could probably just throw those away. That does make me feel a little better. Like, what is it about? Like, maybe they just, I don't know. I don't know. There's like an emotional attachment to them. But but the point being, like, back in my dieting days, I would have binged on all of those. Like, they would have been gone. And here we are practically May. <laughs> I still have them in on my counter in my, my uh, kitchen. Yeah. it's it, And so that's why I say, like, just make the real deal and just enjoy them because – you're going to satisfy that craving. You'll be able to move on. You're not going to feel so obsessed with it. I feel like that's what I tend to see. And I I saw this in myself as well, but like you're so obsessed with it when you can't, I'm using air quotes, when you can't have it or when you're trying to like healthify it. I mean, it, it just, just eat it and you're going to be able to move on and it's going to be fine. Yeah, and I I think that's where people in this wellness spiral get stuck is they're like, yeah, but real sugar causes inflammation. Mm. Real sugar is addictive. Susan, real sugar is so bad for you. And we there there's I feel like there's like 7,000 like little like paths I could take right now to like defend like sugar is not evil. Um, Besides just like the preoccupation and fixation on sugar when you're excluding it from the diet, right? Like Susan's describing, like you're just preoccupied, like I want cookies, I want cookies, I want cookies because I can't have them. Um, You know, let's talk about how unhealthy it is to be constantly worrying about, did you put sugar in this? Susan, are these cookies made with sugar? You know, you're at you're at like a bakery. Do you have sugar-free ice cream? Like constantly worrying about it, constantly avoiding it, constantly thinking about, oh my God, like cookies sound so good right now. I have to go to the store and buy erythritol so I can make sugar-free cookies. Like this constant worrying and obsessing over sugar or whatever it is you're avoiding, whatever it is, anything, okay? If it becomes something where it's occupying all of your time and your space in your brain, that is also – Okay, I, I like I I don't know how to put this like <laughs> clearly enough. This is also causing stress and inflammation in the body. Okay, so rather than just having your cookie and then forgetting about it and leaving it on your counter until May, okay, you are pre- you're obsessively thinking about cookies and sugar. And what this is doing is it is high, it is causing activation in your HPA axis. So we have a hypothalamus, which is attached or communicating with our pituitary gland, which is communicating with our adrenals, which increases cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And this HPA axis has systemic effects, okay, on your entire body. So you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I can't eat sugar because sugar is going to cause inflammation. And it's going to make me like get injured before my race or it's going to make me affect my fertility. When actually – your obsession with how much sugar you've eaten and where sugar is coming from is amping up the cortisol. It's affecting your hormones. It's affecting your immune system. It's affecting your um, skin health. It's affecting how quickly you're aging. It's a, it, like systemic, systemic effect, HPA access. So anytime wellness culture turns into this full-blown 
here I am on my journey to avoid all sugar forever and ever, you have now flipped the script on yourself. You are no longer pursuing wellness. You are causing chronic anxiety and stress, and that has a systemic effect in your body. Yes. Yes. Thank you for explaining that because I think that that's something that like we neglect to realize. And you know what? I think that that just comes from our culture. Like our culture is so focused on health and wellness and food as medicine or fuel. Um, Like that is what our culture has turned into. And it's dangerous. Like, and I just want to like add in here because as Serena was talking about the sugar piece of it, like I wanted to like point out to you, like you could take out the word sugar and put in any sort of ingredient. And I think we could almost go to the point of just umbrelling this and saying processed foods. And I want to take a moment to like specify like processed foods and really like dig in a little bit to the nitty gritty of that. But like what I tend to see a lot of is this fear around processed foods. And like there's this unknown, all these unknown ingredients that are toxic to your body. And in the fertility world, they claim that they are, you know, harming your fertility. It's impairing your egg quality. It's, you know, messing up with your hormones and all of this stuff. And I just like want to take a moment to like recognize the fact that like there are like guidelines around our food and like it's you would have to eat a lot a lot a lot of these foods and like of like the same kinds of foods like every single day in order for them to truly have a negative impact on your health like and like finding a balance with food and eating all foods, which is what Serena and I really preach, like when you're doing that and when you have a healthy relationship with food, you're not consuming these massive quantities of any of these ingredients, even if like they could potentially cause some impact on your health. Like you would really have to be consuming like massive, massive quantities. Like that's the thing I want to say. It's like you would have to be consuming large, large quantities and like it's just not physically possible for you to probably eat that much. And and so what we're saying is that when you're spending this much time like worrying about it and trying to avoid it, whether that's like not allowing yourself to eat out or to eat at parties because you don't know what's in there or making yourself like cook everything from scratch so that way you can know exactly what's in your food like and that's creating excess stress for you like that is not helping like it's not helping anything it's not helping your fertility it's not helping your overall health now one of the things that i want to talk about just briefly here is like what is a processed food because i also think that that's something that is severely uh neglected because i just have to tell you guys this but like all of the food that you eat is probably processed 
And like, I'm just going to start to throw it out there. But like meat, if you buy it from a butcher, even if you buy it from a local butcher, it's processed. They had to process it in order to cut it into whatever cut or to make like ground beef. Um, If you buy any sort of like a vegetable that's like pre-cut, like like baby carrots or carrot chips or salad kits or pre-sliced lettuce or like all of that is processed. If you – so basically a processed food is anything that is – changed from its original form. So it's not just about, you know, the crackers and the chips that are obviously changed from their original form, but it's that simple stuff too. Yeah. I think that's such a powerful thing to remember is like there's fear mongering, right? Like I hear processed food and I haven't you know, I'm not on this journey, this food freedom journey. I'm thinking, holy cow, I'm shaking in my boots. Like this food's processed and therefore it is evil and bad for me. And oh, just eat clean, eat unprocessed, eat whole foods. When actually, to Susan's point, I mean, basically nothing you eat is unprocessed, right? Like everything has been, you know, cut and chopped and altered from its original form. And and then it's like – and I love the other point here of like even the foods with the long ingredient lists where you don't recognize the words or what have you. I mean, first of all, sometimes those words you don't recognize are literally just fancy ways of saying vitamin C. Like you're like, oh my god, what's ascorbic acid? That sounds scary. It's vitamin C. Like, you know, so we can't really use that if you don't recognize the word, don't eat it. Okay, well, no, that's stupid advice. Like that's not true. Um But then also, yeah, like we're not going to be poisoning ourselves because we're eating crackers or Twinkies even or candy. Like you are not going to be poisoned from eating those foods. And if there are any ingredients in there that there is some limited data to support that they could potentially be harmful, exactly what Susan is saying, you'd have to eat them at extremely high amounts that you will not be consuming, especially once you've healed your relationship with food and you're not struggling with binge eating. So there's so much fear here. And that fear is keeping you stuck in this cycle of, yeah, like I can't become an intuitive eater. I can't find food freedom because I'm on a fertility journey because I'm trying to get my period back after you know, not having it for years because of you know, over-exercising, because I have a hormonal imbalance, I have PCOS, whatever your excuse is, and I say excuse, that sounds mean, but like whatever your reasoning is, I'm telling you that there is a way to find that balance where you're making choices for wellness that are not detracting from you in any way. Yeah, exactly. Because the thing of it is, is like when it comes down to, I'm just going to simplify this for like the fertility people, but like you can extrapolate this into all other health issues or conditions as well. But like, like one food, one meal, like one day, one week of eating is not going to like ruin your chances of getting pregnant this month. Like, And I know that your brain is going to go there, right? Like when you get the negative pregnancy test or you get your period and you're going to be like searching, like your brain like wants to search for what happened and like what you did wrong. Like that's, that's a natural thing that your brain does. But like 
when it starts to zero in on like, oh, but I had like a couple of glasses of wine or, you know, I ate this and like I probably just didn't do a good enough job. Like, no, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Like it's not like the food that you eat goes directly to like your ovaries or your uterus and is just like, no, no, no implantation. No, no, no. Like, no, like that's not what happens. But like it makes me so angry because I feel like that is what fertility culture, like fertility diet culture, I'm just going to coin that word. I think I, I love I'm that. just going to coin it. I love it. Uh, wants, like makes you think and then you feel guilty and you beat yourself up. And there's just like so much wrapped up in all of this that it's just, it, it's not like, it's not healthy. There was like, I, I feel like it's pretty, I don't think I'm wrong in saying there's no such thing as like cause and effect when it comes to food. It's not like because I ate processed chips, whatever, I did not get pregnant. It's not like because I ate processed chips, like I have diabetes. Like that like cause and effect relationship that diet culture really kind of tries to support, that is not true. There is a multitude of things influencing whether you get pregnant, whether you have diabetes, whether you have PCOS, whether you are fitting into one size versus another size genes. Like this is not just about your food choices. And I think we spend so much time on the things that we think we can control because it makes us feel good. This is within my control. Next month, I will have more power, more willpower. I will make better choices. I will be better. And therefore, I will get the thing I want. And that's drilled into us from a young age. But that is not true. There are certain genes we can turn on and off with food, but there are certain genes that they they're just our genes, our blueprint. We can't turn them on and off. There are certain things in the air we breathe or the, the the lifestyle choices or the, you know, socioeconomic impacts of the world we're living in or the the, you know, the global impacts of the world we're living in. Like there are things outside of our control that are going to have an effect on us. And all the yoga and vegan food and green juices and vitamins in the world are not going to stop you know, whatever it is that is going to happen to you from happening. There is no cause and effect. It's all about looking at like the overall picture of like, how are you feeling in your body? How are your decisions affecting your day to day? And if you feel nervous to eat or you feel stressed out about food, then that's just a clue that we can do something to kind of ameliorate that part of your life because that is not contributing to wellness, okay? And you're, there is no way, you know, having potato chips is going to cause a, a, a negative pregnancy te- test or a bad PR or a bad race in your ne- uh, next – a bad time in your next race. Like there is no such thing as cause and effect here. Yes. Okay, like you hit on some really, really good points there. Like I kept thinking over and over when you were saying that the limit does not exist. Do you know what that's from? I I can't. I don't know. I don't know. Mean Girls. Oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> but that's what I get thinking. Like the limit does not exist. Like there is no cause and effect relationship between like food and disease, and like and. 
You can show me the research studies, but I'm going to point out to you that here's the thing. When those studies are saying like diets higher in blah, 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 blah are linked to, you know, an increased occurrence of diabetes or heart disease, like there's a lot of confounding variables there that are – What does that mean? What's a confounding variable? Good question. So there's a lot of things that are not accounted for. So a confounding variable in like a study that is talking about like nutrition would be things like other lifestyle factors like, you know, smoking or um, movement or um, socioeconomic status, your access to healthcare. Um, because the reality of it is, is like if they're not can like the reality of nutrition studies just in general is like you cannot control for all of those variables in order to like isolate and be like it was just the food that caused this because a lot of times what happens is so say um for example you have someone that eats a lot of like fast food and like foods that are easier that would be quote unquote deemed like processed and like maybe um would be linked in these types of studies, would be linked to like diabetes or heart disease, just for an example. The thing that's really not looked at is like there's a reason why this person is living that lifestyle. And it could be, it could be because of money, so socioeconomic status. It could be because of like work-life balance. Like For a second here, I'm just going to go off on a second, but like our culture here in the U.S. of like you have to work at least 40 hours a week. Like our culture is so focused on like work hard and work a lot and in order to achieve, like our culture is not actually focused on like that work-life balance of like allowing yourself to take breaks during the day or like you guys in other countries, like I don't know if you realize this, but in other countries, like they have like two hour lunch breaks and people like go home to take a nap or they go out like in France, like they, uh, they've they done studies on the French and like they have like two hours where they like go out and have a really nice long lunch break and then like enjoy the social conversation. Like they have wine, they, you know, it, they've done studies that have shown that like the French eat more dairy per capita than the US, yet they are healthier and have lower rates of heart disease than the US. And in the U.S., we're sitting here fear-mongering and telling people not to eat dairy because it causes heart disease. No, 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 no. That's not the problem. The problem is our inability to actually allow people to rest and to enjoy life Like, because we are so focused on working so incredibly hard. And I'm not shaming you for that, but I'm just – I'm labeling it for what it is. I, I love that. Like I could not be nodding my head more. Like, yeah, the study is just so fixated on, holy cow, that person ate fast food. Well, did they get any time to like 
relaxed that day or they have been stressed out since five o'clock in the morning when they had a clock in for their job and they had their boss screaming at them and their butt's been in a chair all day because they haven't been able to go for a walk and get a glass of water and fill up their water bottle because they've been working their butt off all day. And, you know, it's just like you don't know the whole picture. Like we put somebody in this like little capsule of the study and we say, oh, here, we're going to make this swap. Well, maybe that's the first time somebody's ever like taken that responsibility, you know, away from them and just given them meals and that had vegetables in them. Like, again, I think it's important to not go to that black and white thinking where it's like Serena and Susan are saying just eat fast food every day. Like, that's not what we're saying. That's the black and white thinking, right? This is literally about thinking about the whole person, thinking holistically about just because you're removing sugar from your diet, if you're still freaking out, stressed out all the time, not resting, not relaxing, over-exercising, you are not healthy, period. Like, you're just not healthy. And I love that you're calling out our culture, Susan, because absolutely, like, I think we've talked about this, like, both of us, like, feel guilty when we relax and rest, but but at least we have that awareness. And hopefully one day we can we can change that about our personalities. <laughs> Yes. I've honestly like rest is a huge thing that I've been like working on in the last like seven or eight months. Um, and it was really, really uncomfortable at first. Like I didn't even recognize it in myself that I was that I was burnt out until I had someone tell me that. And like it, and it's because in our culture, we're so focused on like just keep moving forward, just keep doing more. Like do more. And that's like what our culture tells us over and over and over again. And I'm just like here to tell you like that is not the answer. More is not the answer. Less is more. I think that's a really powerful note to end on. I agree. Woohoo. Okay, guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us. If you are a female athlete looking to heal your relationship with your body, head to serenamarierd.com to download my free runner's guide to better body image. And if you're trying to conceive, head over to simplejoyfulnutrition.com to grab your free guide to get started boosting your egg quality.